Hey everyone, welcome to an unguarded heart to heart podcast. You are here with Nico and I have a wonderful guest today. I'm really excited to talk to her. Her name is Jillian Schur. Hi Jillian, welcome to the unguarded heart to heart. Hi Nico, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have you today because well, first of all, you are part of the Endometriosis Coalition, right? That's the name? Yes, yes. And it is a nonprofit um, helping spread awareness about endometriosis. Awesome. Well, and the their whole point of this actually is I started following you on Instagram. This is funny how we met because I started <laughs> following you on Instagram. Not that I was stalking you by any means, but I stalk all the time. <laughs> it's okay. I know. But um I have endometriosis and we both have endometriosis, but I started yes. following you after I wanna say I'm trying to think about it. I think it was because I was I follow um Lena Dunham and I think she had done something with the bracelets that you offer. Yes, yes. We did offer them, uh, hoping one day to hopefully bring them back. Uh, so stay tuned. But yes, she had, she's a big supporter and uh, I just love her to death for all she does for the endo community. Yeah, absolutely. Because for me, once I was diagnosed with endometriosis, I felt very, I didn't know much about it. And we're going to obviously dive into that because March is endometriosis month. And I know the coalition, you yourself personally, and myself are trying to spread awareness and really let the world know about this this disease. Um, but yeah, I started seeing her post. She started becoming very public with them. And I just remember thinking, oh, wow, I don't feel alone in this battle. Yeah, it's really amazing how social media has done that for me as well. I mean, meeting you, meeting all the other girls, I felt really alone when I was first diagnosed as well. And some of my best friends and closest friends have come out of people I've met on Instagram. Yeah. And so while social media, I'm sure has that stigma of, you know, running our lives, there's so many positive (laughs) things that it is providing. And this is definitely one of them. So, and for those listening, uh, we've never met in person. So this is the (laughs) first time that we're seeing each other and getting to connect. So I'm really excited about this and I'm really excited to just spread, uh, this awareness and let people and women, obviously women specifically, but also men, family members, anybody with someone in their life that has endometriosis um, with the knowledge that hopefully they can take and use to fight their own fight, so to speak. Yes. And I will let you in on a secret. Jenna and Natalie, the co-founders of the Endoco, as we call it for short, mm-hmm. and myself, we've never met in person. None of oh, us. Oh, that's amazing. So you all, so you're based, you're based in Chicago, right? Chicago and Natalie's in New York and Jenna is in LA. That's awesome. Wow. So. Yeah. So the power of social media guys yes. when it's in a, in a, in a positive way. So yeah. So, um, well, I want to know, like, I want to share our stories because I think it's really yeah. important. We'll definitely get to talking about the coalition and what that mission is, but, um, can you tell me a little bit about your story and, you know, when you were diagnosed with endometriosis? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it was kind of, it happened very fast for me, which is not normal. The average about seven, 10 years from symptoms to diagnosis or even longer. Um, 
I never had bad periods per se. I always had irregular ones, but I had been on birth control since I was 14. And I was living in Indianapolis. I remember it so vividly um, because it was such a struggle from that day forward to get to a diagnosis. So I stopped taking birth control about six months later. I had been with the same person, so nothing sex-wise was changing. Right. But I was bleeding every time after sex. Mm -hmm. I was in pain for days after sex. I went to the doctor, and um, I had was living in Indianapolis. Was not my normal uh, OB guy, uh, but they're like, "Well, you have abnormal cells because I'd had HPV mm -hmm. from I think sixteen, okay. and I still had it then. I had abnormal cells that hadn't gone any further." than just um, the lowest grade. Right. And so they're like, we'll do another biopsy. It's probably that. Um, basically, that was all my fault because I'd had HPV and my body hadn't gotten rid of it. Okay. So this was probably my fifth biopsy. And they're like, well, it hasn't progressed, but here, let's put you on more birth control. And then I had moved to Texas. Uh, I went back to Texas and was seeing my ob guy that I'd had when I was 14 and had done my first biopsy. Luckily, they changed the tools they use from metal to plastic. <laughs> um, so I had another biopsy. She's like, it's got to be this. Let's try the um, IUD, the implanon that goes in my arm because that had worked before for me. Um, I started bleeding every day. Oh, wow. I was in tons of pain. I it was just, I was so exhausted and I was used to working long hours and being able to do anything that I wanted and, you know, nothing really stopped me, but from the day that I started bleeding after sex, it just kind of went downhill. Yeah. So I told her they always wanted to put me on pain meds or like Lyrica and birth Every control. And yeah, everything just sounds like a, you know, the way that your story unfold is unfolding and the way that mine did too. It's kind of like a cover up to the actual condition. It's like, you know, you're covering the symptoms, so to speak, but you're not finding a cure. I mean, obviously there is no cure, but... Yeah, we're not giving yeah. you any treatment, so to speak. Yeah, and so I have a medical background. Uh, I was pre med before, um, and I was working in public health. And I was like, "No, you're not going to just give me these meds. Mm -hmm. I want you to find the root cause of my problem." I'm like, exactly. "I'll try the double birth control because I'm in this much pain. I need to know what's going on." But I'm not taking any pain meds because if this doesn't clear up the pain, then, and I mean, that kind of bit me later <laughs> denying the pain meds then <laughs> because I didn't get them later on when I needed them. Right. So, and I, I knew what was causing the pain. So, and I always say that I think this is why I was diagnosed so fast is because I didn't say, I was like, no, you're not, I was very feisty with my doctors, mm -hmm. very feisty. Um, and I was like, no, I'm not doing this. And I had... I was crippling in pain at work one day and my boss was like, you're going to your doctor. The doctor got me in. I drove there. I have no idea how. Um, they did a transvaginal ultrasound, found tons of fluid and cyst ruptures. Wow. And so they're like, okay, well, you had cyst ruptures. I guess we can go ahead and schedule the laparoscopy to look for endometriosis. I had done, I think... I had had another ultrasound where they put saline in the uterus to look for polyps because I was the bleeding after sex and bleeding after running and things like that was indicative of polyps. Um, that came back fine. Everything that I did came back fine. 
So we had the first surgery, didn't realize, I didn't know at that time that my OB-GYN was not specialized in this. I got my diagnosis of endometriosis on that surgery. I can't really describe that moment. I think a lot of uh, us endo warriors have the same feeling. It's like vindication of diagnosis of I'm not like losing it. Like I was in this much pain. Like there was a cause for it. Right. There was a reason. Yeah. And she didn't find much, but that's because she missed a lot. Um, As I come to find out later, I was fine for like two weeks after surgery. I decided that, you know, I was having night sweats again. I was in pain. I was bleeding again. I'm like, this is not okay. Like, yeah, I was especially so quickly after the surgery. Yeah. And I was like, something's not right. So being 25 at the time, I went, I took my own little self and went to the fertility doctor and I was like, something's not right with my uterus and my body. I know something's not right. Um, my ovaries at that time were functioning at the level of like a 50 to 60 year old. Wow. They started because I'd been on birth control for less than a month. And I was like, I don't think it's going to make that much difference, but I'm not a doctor. I had my hysterectomy scheduled until my doctor was like, I'm not doing it. And I'm glad that she didn't. Um, we'll clear up that misconception later, (laughs) but I was referred to another doctor within the practice and he was really great. They actually listened. He came in and did the ultrasound himself. He looks at the screen. He's like, uh Oh, and I'm like, uh Oh, what? And they won't let me look at the screen, of course, because they know I can semi-read it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, what do you see? What is it? And he's like, I'm not really sure yet. Let me like take some pictures, and then we'll go discuss it in the room. Mm-hmm. So they found this mass. Um, no one can see me holding up the size of the mass right. right now. But it was a good-sized mass right behind my vaginal wall, right behind between the cervix and the uterus, right behind there. Or it would be in my rectum. They couldn't tell. Okay. So they're like, you're going to go do an MRI. And I was like, okay. So the MRI came back fine. And they're like, well, if that doesn't, if we can't find it on that, we'll do a hysteroscopy. I think I'm saying it correctly. Yes, I had that. Yes, I've had that too. Okay. Mm -hmm. I had one on my first surgery as well. Okay. And then if we don't find anything, or no, it was the colonoscopy first. We don't find anything on that. We'll do the hysteroscopy. If we don't find anything on that, we'll go back in. I was like, no, you can do it all at once while I'm under, right. all at once. Um, and so we did that. It ended up being a large mass of endo there as well. Oh, wow. Same thing happened. A few weeks went by. I was good. Then I got sick again. Um, long story short, I was. they put me on Lupron. So I did do the Lupron shot that puts you into clinical menopause. Right. I don't suggest it or recommend it, though it did get me through my first year of law school and through work, it was what I needed at the time mm-hmm. until I found an excision specialist. So I had another surgery after I moved to Chicago. They found more endo. Um, but all these surgeons had only been in me. I'd been under for maybe an hour max. That's with pre-op, under, and out, and post-op. 30 was- minutes, probably. And you bring up a, a great point about that. So your story is, wow, I'm, I, you know, I know we've talked briefly about it, but having you spread it out in its entirety is, uh, I feel for you, you know, just as a human being, as a woman, um, and someone who also has endometriosis, for me, my, everybody's story is different. And that's, the, yeah. that is the crazy part of this condition, right? Is that, 
everybody's journey, everybody's story is different. You know, I was diagnosed with stage four endometriosis because I was rushed to the hospital with an endometrioma the size, I don't even know. It was 10 centimeters and it was was huge. So So painful. Right. Extremely painful. I mean, obviously the symptoms are very similar in our scenarios, right? Bleeding, bleeding after sex, pain, uh, just wanting answers, not knowing what's going on, having some sort of relief and then going back to symptoms. And, And this is in general what it's like to live with endometriosis. Endometriosis. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's good to like contrast how your story is similar, but different in ways than mine. And Mm -hmm. I love hearing like more about it. I'd love to hear more about it because I think what is very interesting about this disease is that it's not cookie cutter. Every single person and every single female is different. And I was never staged because I didn't have a surgeon who even knew what it really was. Right. Just that it was there and they found it. Yay. Um, Yeah. And then go on with your life. Um, But yeah, so it's very interesting. And I'd love to hear more about your story to diagnosis. Yeah. And and I wanted to share that too, obviously. So, I mean, yours, uh, to me, I am just, I'm feeling so much empathy because it sounds... And so I don't even know our age difference, not that we need to, but <laughs> obviously, so I was, di- so how long ago in years were you diagnosed then technically when, from your first, after you got off birth control and all that? I, my first, from diagnosis was, I was diagnosed in 2015, okay. July, 2015. I'm 27, almost 28 now. I've had all five of my surgeries. Well, one was an appendectomy, which that just had to happen too. Um, all within two and a half years. Wow. And then about a, about two years of symptoms before I got my diagnosis. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we're in a, I mean, crazy how that works. We're in a similar time frame in terms of my diagnosis is about three years or so ago myself. And I'm, I'm 35. So I'm a little bit older. Um, and what happened, like I said previously, was that I was rushed to the hospital in debilitating pain. I was in so much pain, didn't know what was going on. And sure enough, they did a ton of tests. They found this mass. And their recommendation at the hospital was to go to a oncology gynecologist. So I went to a cancer OBGYN. So that's how that went. And Luckily, this is also another thing that I want to point out because in my story, you have a medical background, right? You're pre-med. Mm-hmm. I have medic. I have. Um, I'm not a. I don't have a medical background. My dad is in the medical field. He's um, a farm. A, excuse me, a farm rep, and so he has mm-hmm. endless amounts of doctor. Uh, doctor friends. So Mm -hmm. when I got diagnosed with this mass, you need to see a doctor. I mean, he pulled out all the stops to find the best doctor, right? And not everybody has that luxury. And exactly. I am very privileged for, you know, having the background I did and having the support, the family as you do to, you know, kind of navigate the system and some people don't. And they don't, exactly. And so, and I think it's just really important to point out and understand and acknowledge that because some women don't have those resources. And I think it's so important that we continue to do this research and, you know, 
we'll talk more about that, but getting this information out so that specialists can, there can become more specialists so that doctors get more training and understand what's going on with the human, human body in in regards to this. But so I went to a specialist at that point and he was like, this needs to be removed. It's like growing at a rapid rate. So my hormones were probably all over the place and the endo endometrioma was growing it grew, I think, even two centimeters within like the month that I oh went. Goodness. Yeah, it was growing massively. So I was just like, oh my goodness. And he's like, you need this out. And I said, oh, by the way. So it was really just to take that out, the cyst. And I just said, you know, oh, by the way, I have really painful uh, periods. And he's like, oh, okay. I think we'll check for endometriosis based on that. And if you do, we'll get rid of it. And sure enough, again, though, and I don't know, and this is something that you can probably shed some light on, my surgeries were rather quick as well. So whether or not Mm -hmm. I've been having a full excision surgery the way that you're describing it to be, I don't know, to be honest. I don't know. I I didn't know either. Um, I thought, you know, my second doctor, he was like the expert. I was in Texas at Baylor in Fort Worth. And um, and he was great. His office was great. They're great to me. And, you know, I thought, and I did get excision. They did excise it. They didn't ablate it where they just burn it off. Okay. But they weren't going in depth and looking everywhere. I had a lot, they focus on my cul-de-sac area that okay. is in my colon, um, and rectum area because that is where I had the most endo and I had a retroverted uterus. So it sat back and adhesions quickly grew from my uterus to my bowels. So I would bleed vaginally after having bowel movements. Oh, wow. Um, and that's when I knew like something was really wrong too. And I was like, that's not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had, you know, they've, I've had two colonoscopies before age 26. So right, yeah, which is like, not, is not a common thing. <laughs> yeah. It's not fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I did lose a little bit of weight after, but, um, <laughs> so they should be in there for two to three hours. Okay. Um, looking for endo, looking up through, looking at your diaphragm, your liver, everywhere that the endo could possibly be. I know that my last surgery here in Chicago with Dr. Malad, who I found through the endoco contacts who put me in with Nancy's Nook, who has put together like patient run specialists in all the different areas. I'm fortunate enough. I live in a city where there is a specialist, Right. Um, but he was in there. I have pictures of my liver and my diaphragm and he only found endo this time on my uterus, on the surface, on the outside, okay. and scar tissue adhesions holding my uterus to my colon. Right. Um, and then my uterus was discolored. So he, I had asked him two weeks before surgery to give me a hysterectomy because I felt that I had adenomyosis, which is the related condition to endo where it grows inside of the muscle wall of the uterus, and you can't see that on any surgeries okay. until you do the biopsy. Um, so he reluctantly agreed. I wrote him a letter, had to go see my psychiatrist, get a note that I mentally knew what I was doing. Right. Um, it's a big decision. It's a huge decision. It's huge. It's a huge decision. Um, but it was what I felt was right for me right. because I, I just had a feeling that I had adeno. Turns out, most likely I did. The pathology only took two sections, so it can be missed okay. um, on pathology. So my pathology didn't show positive anything, but my physician was like, it did need to come out. Um, I could have gone 
probably a little bit longer without it. But since I had very little in endo inside of me at that time, he knew that, that my uterus was causing the issue. So, um, he yeah. was in me for three hours. Yeah. And I guess my, I mean, that's wow. I mean, and I, you bring up so many points and there's so many things that we can talk about, which is, I, know. I mean, it's crazy. It's just so crazy. It is. Um, which I, I'm hoping we can touch upon in this episode and maybe we'll just have to do another one. But, um, what I'm hoping, <laughs> what I'm hoping too, is you talk a lot about, you know, making the decisions that are best for you and what is right for yeah. you. And you know, your body more than anything. Exactly. I think that's really important for, you know, young women, especially that are having these issues. And it's not just bad period pain. It can be, it's so much more. And I mean, I didn't have period pain, um, but I had major bowel issues. Right. I went through, before I made the choice for the hysterectomy, I went through every type of gastrointestinal test you could possibly have, which was made me very cranky because you can't eat before most of them. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, but it's, there's different things. So one of my friends that I met through the endo community through online and ended up living in the same building in Chicago, ironically, and you know, Chicago house, a really small city actually. Um, she exercises and that helps her exercise didn't work for me. It made me feel worse due to like, I think where my uterus was met the weight of my uterus, um, eating, being gluten-free that did significantly help me until I was at the point where I was so malnourished before surgery Mm. that I just had to get something of substance in me. Um, The holistic things, you know, I do Epsom salt baths, um, magnesium, physical therapy, which I had no idea was a thing. Yes. Uh, Pelvic floor physical therapy. Yes, I've heard about the pelvic floor. I've I've wanted to check that out actually. It's very, you have to find the right person because it's, for me, I found one that was amazing, ended up transferring from where I had gone originally to my specialist's office. Mm-hmm. So I go to a one-stop shop now. Right. Awesome. But it's it's definitely you have to know what your body and what your lifestyle and what will not stress you out and give you more anxiety to do. And it's all very individualized. So I know you had tried some of the holistic approaches. Um, what yeah, all? Yeah. So, you know, um, what happened for me, so obviously I had that one surgery and after that one surgery, they also put me on Lupron and I did the Lupron for a couple of months and the hot flashes were insane. Talk about yeah. feeling what menopause is at a young age. <laughs> yeah. It was insane. Um, but I did that and then quickly after I was done with the Lupron, they had me on a continuous birth control, meaning no periods. They didn't want you to like, you know, you skip the sugar pills and you're on yeah. continuous for those listening. Um, and I went on a life changing. So for me, I went on a life changing trip to Thailand. Right. And so I went to Asia. Yeah, it was amazing. But when I went there, I really started to get in touch with my inner voice and what my body was telling me and kind of listening to what I felt was right. I don't think I was connected until that point. And so, I was in Asia on this trip and like I started saying like, this is not like, I don't want to be on birth control. Like I just, it it just didn't feel right to me. Something felt wrong. Something was telling me you need to try something else. And so luckily, um, I, I started, uh, seeing a woman's health coach and together we worked on, you know, 
the holistic part of things, changing my hormones, because obviously endo is a hormonal. I mean, that's a mm-hmm. thing. I don't know if, again, what I know of it and my research, it's, it's twofold. People think it could be autoimmune and there's also facts that it could be hormonal. Mm-hmm. And so, soy irritates the estrogen. So cutting out soy exactly. from the diet, which I had no idea. Yeah. Lactose and, intolerant. And, but, right. And then I hear also, but if you do full soy beans, like if you do a full it's soy, different. like soy is okay. But if you're not, then again, this yeah. is the thing with the condition. There's, it's so complicated. It's very complicated. And everything that we are talking about is extremely individualized to the person. And yes. so right now doctors really treat the symptoms and they – you know, if you're not, if you don't have any pelvic pain and you're not having any issues, like there's, you know, no, nobody knows that you even have it. Yeah. And even if you do have pelvic pain, they're like, that's just your period. Yeah. Deal with it. And exactly. I'm like, well, don't think I should be having pain after every orgasm. Yeah. But um, <laughs> that's true. Right. I exactly. mean, if that's life, I don't know how I feel about it. Right. And I don't know. And so I did the holistic route for uh, about a year. And again, even within the holistic route, because my coach was amazing in that she's like, what is your body telling you? She still guided me and like, what is your body voice? saying to you my and I'm like my body voice is saying I need to get a, an, an ultrasound <laughs> because yeah I yeah. something's not as much as I love you and she was also I think and again this to each his own I, I also had my own emotional stuff going on that I was trying to heal and mm-hmm. for me that made a difference in my symptoms too like with inflammation yeah. And things of that nature. So it, again, everything is individualized. Like I, I, I think like both of my, perhaps you and me are on the same page in that respect. Like you really need to listen and be your own advocate. You really do. And for me, it was, it's funny because they're like, well, you need to relax. And I'm like, I'm a type triple A person. <laughs> relaxing is not really in my nature. I tried the relaxing yoga, you know, the rest of restoring yoga and it made me more stressed right because I was like I have stuff to do so I found that uh walking mindfulness that was referred or that my PT said that I should try um really helped so I walked through the city streets of Chicago with my headphones and I just like listened to my body I'm like okay you're not in pain right now or before surgery oh no you better get yourself to the hospital or in bed now. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'll try that. Yeah. It's a pra and it's a practice. It's a muscle that a lot of us in life just don't have entirely down yet. And even to this day, while it's something I'm you and I both practice, there's moments when we're great at it. And then there's moments when we're obviously not. (laughs) And I am one that is not that great at just taking time for myself, but I've been learning that if I don't, like I did all of this for nothing, mm-hmm. but you know, I can't go backwards. And it's very, I was very anti, you know, psychology therapist before I was diagnosed. I don't know why. I think it was because I didn't really have anything going on in my life that I really needed that. But I, that has been my saving grace too, since I got diagnosed. And thankfully my school, I'm in law school right now. Um, they have great insurance that allows me to go. And if not, they have people on campus. And, you know, I was in a, a relationship when I start, first started bleeding. Um, they were freaked out by it. Yeah. Obviously, it's good that they're not in my life anymore. But it was really hard for me 
to continue to make relationships after being left because I was sick and because I couldn't have sex or because I was bleeding. I still had it, but I was in pain and was bleeding after, especially when you're in like a long term or long distance and you're only seeing each other so many times and you're bleeding every time you see them. They're like, well, you know, um, it was really hard and there's a lot of emotional things that go with it and feeling as if I'm like a burden to my family, to everybody else, to myself, not being able to take care of my dogs properly. You know, I want to like give you a really – I mean, I, I just – like I don't mean to interrupt you. I just want to oh, no, give you like do. a virtual – I just want to give you a virtual hug, one, <laughs> because I – and they can't see us giving virtual hugs. Yeah. But uh, the point of that is – you're just like touching my heart because I, everything that you're saying is like, yep, yep, yep. And while we're obviously we're talking specific to endometriosis, anybody with a chronic illness, a chronic condition and something they're battling on a daily basis, it is so hard to see the emotional side of that and to see the struggles that you go through And endometriosis is not just obviously attacking the physical body, but it's dealing with all of the repercussions of I'm not good enough and the shame and why is it happening to me and, you know, exactly what you said. And it's unfortunate. It's great that that person is no longer in your life because they're not your person and and Mm -hmm. there was a gift there of you learning that. But I totally can relate because I – and I I know that some of of your – the co-founders of your coalition too, um, had some situations similar where I started dating my boyfriend right when I was having my Mm -hmm. surgery, uh, maybe, you know, a couple, two months or so before then. And I was in a lot of pain. I didn't know why it was like awkward in moments, you know, like we're just starting a relationship. And the truth is, is like, I still battle that in moments because I still deal with pain on certain days and not, but that doesn't define you and the right person is going to love you through this. And it seems like I know one of your co-founders got engaged. Yes. I'm so happy for her. And Natalie, um, Jenna is engaged and they are just an amazing couple. And uh, her fiance is just fantastic and such a great advocate as well. And same with Natalie. Um, They're just, they just welcome their baby boy. And, you know, she's just, they're both, you know, I wouldn't be here talking to you or, you know, I wouldn't have found, you know, more of my purpose in life if it hadn't been for meeting them via Instagram and talking with them. I wouldn't have found my surgeon had it not been for Natalie telling me about Nancy's Nook. And um, it's, you know, and I, going back to like the relationship part, I wasn't with anybody throughout the other surgeries, but you know, it's sad because Lupron, I was on it for so long, on and off. Mm-hmm. I did the one month and the three month doses and hormones make me crazy. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. you know, met someone that during that time that I was on Lupron and, but I was coming off of it. And I think that was the problem is it was when I was stopping my Lupron mm-hmm. that my hormones were starting and the cysts were coming back and I was really, really sick. And, you know, that could have been like the person, right. but I was just like, I ruined it by like being so like guarded one and two by all the hormones and stuff and, you know, still talk to them, but it's still like, could that have been different if I hadn't been dealing with the endo and the Lupron and stuff, but. And it's, and it's, you know, you, 
bring up a great point. It's so easy to think in those situations, right? Like, you know, you always own your side of the street. How could I have done things better? But Mm -hmm. ultimately at the end of the day, how things play out, you know, that's how they played out. And there's only so much that is in your control. And I think as you continue on this path, and as you, as we, you know, yes, I'm in a, I have a relationship and I have a boyfriend that has supported me and I feel the same way that it's so amazing that he knows everything about it. We talk about it, like talk about vulnerability and having to get really honest about what's going on. Um, they're out there. So, um, that support, that love it's out there and just even so, even when you do have it, there's still so many moments within yourself that you're mm-hmm. like filled with shame and sadness and questions and learning to, you said something that I thought was just so important to point out. And that is that you're finding your purpose through this. We're trying to change lives and help other women and the women that you met change your life and you're going to do the same Absolutely. for others. And that's, yeah. that's the beauty of this. Like you can take, we can all take the situation and be like, why me? Or we can take yeah. it and use it for the beautiful and positive message that your coalition, coalition is doing and what we're doing by having this conversation. Yeah. And I think that I came across a Facebook memory the other day where I had posted post-op. I had a surgery a year ago, uh, a couple days ago, and it was my fourth surgery. And I said, you know, I asked myself every sometimes why me? And I'm like, why me? Because I'm loud. I'm proud. I'm willing to talk about this until things change. And I'm not going to be quiet about it. I have no problem talking about my lady bits. So, um, you know, I, and I was just starting law school and everybody's like, you should never let anybody know that you have endometriosis because you'll never get a job. And at first I kind of stuck with that mentality, but I found the right place for me where, you know, one of my, they know that I have endometriosis, my supervisor does, but, um, you know, I was like, why? Cause I, I'm still here. I'm still sitting in front of you in this interview and I've done all this while in pain yeah. and while, you know, managing all this other stuff. So no, I'm not going to hide it. I got asked in an interview which is completely illegal <laughs> if I had endometriosis. Wow. And I'm like in my head thinking you're an attorney. You should know this, that that's illegal. Right. But I'm like, yes, I do. And here I am. So I was like, well, okay. Yeah. And, <laughs> so, yeah, and, so and I mean, that's, uh, you, that's really beautiful. And I think, you know, you can share such an amazing message and you can totally – just continue to spread that awareness, spread that love and, and, and really change other people's lives. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm so glad to have you here loud, proud and willing (laughs) to talk about your lady bits. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you so much. Yeah. It's definitely something, I mean, we can totally do another, uh, call one day. It's, great. I love talking about it. Um, I love getting people involved and I've met all my closest friends. I've lost friends in the process of endo as well. I'm sure that you can relate as you really learn who you should allow in your life. There's no room for more toxicity than the endo itself. (laughs) That's a great, that's an excellent point. That's like, that's a very excellent point. And you, you, I don't know. It's, it's, 
I think again, like I know we're, we're spreading the endo, um, awareness and it's so important that we do. And I'm so glad we're doing this in March, but in general, obviously a lot of my podcasts, I think speak to just things in life. I mean, toxicity in general, getting rid of and realizing how precious your life is. This condition affects you in so many ways that it really puts so much in perspective. Yes, it really does. And I think just before, you know, I, I realized how great I have it and how much I have to give to everybody else. Um, and it's just, you have time and your time is valuable. Your heart is valuable, your emotions, your person, Mm -hmm. and you should find people who value you as much as you value yourself and you should value yourself very highly um, because you get to be here and you get to do everything. And if you're not, you know, there's ups and downs, but it doesn't define us, like you said, and we will make it through together because the only way to do so is, you know, not standing alone. Yeah, absolutely. And which brings me to, to, to the coalition. So I'd love to know a little bit about that and how that creation came to be and kind of what your, what your message is and, and what you guys are doing. Cause I think it's amazing. Yeah. So I am very honored that, uh, Natalie and Jenna, uh, on Instagram, it's living with endometriosis and life above endo. They created this amazing nonprofit, the endometriosis coalition, And, you know, I had found them when I first got diagnosed, I found Natalie and I was like, okay, I love her page because it's upbeat and it's positive. When I first got diagnosed and I had no idea what endo was, even with my science background, I was like, well, all the other pages are really depressing and I can't have this right now because I will just go in a downward spiral. Right. Um, And so I found Natalie, I started messaging her and she's great at answering personal messages and sent me to Nancy's Nook. Um, she's like, at first she had knew when I was in Texas and then I had moved to Indiana for a brief three months before I got into law school, moved to Chicago. I was commuting two hours one way from Indiana to Chicago to see some of my doctors and physical therapy. And then I, they posted that they needed volunteers. And I was like, yes, like sign me up. Love this. And you know, we have the volunteer group on Facebook as well. And then we, I started talking to them more and I did a video interview with Natalie and we just hit it off instantly. And the same with Jenna and they are both, I talk to them almost every day, if not more, like constantly. I love them to death. I would not be here and not in pain if it hadn't been for them. So the nonprofit, we do a lot of different things. So we have the myth that we dispel all the endo myths. We do uh, nutrition. We do feature Fridays of putting people's stories out there. We've made amazing connections with all the other endo community doing amazing things. Right now, we are in the middle of our one in 10 campaign. We came up with this idea, Jenna did, um, on one of our meetings months ago. I think it was in Mm, October, September, okay. something along those lines, and which I did the both, one. In, I did the one in ten. By the way, I was in on it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't see. I don't think I saw your picture. Oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I tag you. Okay, tag me. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. we've been getting thousands, and I'm it's, sure it's, it's hard so to keep up. I know. <laughs> and um, so it's basically we were like, okay, well, there's one in ten women estimated 160 million women worldwide. This 
disease does not discriminate, but it doesn't only affect us, as we've talked about, is it affects our partners, our friends, our family, our, you know, our children, our everything, our mm-hmm. co-workers, um, people we have appointments with, so right. like nails, hair, yeah. doctors, everything. And so we're like, let's get everybody involved. So kind of taking off of the no hate and ASL challenge, mm-hmm. the no bucket challenge is take a picture of who you know that is one in 10, whether it be yourself, your girlfriend, your, um, your boyfriend, the transgender community right. as well, and get them involved, challenge 10 people, have them challenge 10 people with a black and white photo against a light wall, um, or not, it depends. Um, we like that it all looks really powerful with that yeah. background. And then, you know, we're getting them in different languages, and it's just been very overwhelming seeing all of the family and the support and the caregivers getting involved. And I have had my classmates at law school do it who I didn't talk to last semester because I was so sick yeah. that I was barely on campus. I had to take my finals late. And so, you know, they didn't know who I was until the semester, but yet they're willing to post on social media these pictures of themselves saying my law school pal is one in 10 or my classmate is one in 10. And it really makes those who do suffer not feel alone, but also brings the awareness to those parties who may not have known what it was before. And so we love to have like a positive outlook because we can do it, but we want to make sure that that delaying diagnosis goes away by awareness, by proper specialists. Um, and proper surgeries that are not one surgery, 30 doctor, <laughs> Yeah, Dr. Iris Orbrook says one surgery done right. And I think that's an amazing motto because I had three that I didn't need to have. Right. I could have had one and then I maybe would have had a hysterectomy later on because right. of the adenomyosis. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been great. And I... Um, I also use my dating apps this month because I am single um, <laughs> as a awareness. I have all my one in 10 photos and it's like what on one of the dating apps, it asks you questions and you can answer. And it's like, what won't I shut up about? And I'm like, for every 10 women you see on here, one has endometriosis. Have you gotten so, any, I'm just curious, uh, uh, which I think is such an amazing idea. And I think you're a brave, badass woman for doing that. Um, and so just ha- have you gotten any feedback? I'm just curious. I have. I've gotten a lot of like, what is this? Or I didn't know what this was. Um, I'll match with those people because I like spread all my preferences way out that I normally would have a little bit lower as like age wise and stuff. Uh And I've had a lot of individuals like, oh, I'm learning so much. Like people actually interested these guys learning what endometriosis is. And I'm like, this is great. Like I should just keep it like this. I don't have time to date right now. Um, And then I had some doctors um, and then they're like, I was clearing up misconceptions for them about proper surgery. So I'm like, actually, this is how it should be. That's so amazing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love it. I mean, I think that's so amazing. Like, good. So, that's awesome. Anybody in the Chicago area comes across that profile, that is why. So and please send me a question. Know, yep, Jillian. Yep. She is going to tell you all about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is what I like. And I think she's awesome. I don't know you very much, but I will vouch for you too. So if you are I in Chicago you are and you see it, you should take this wonderful girl out on a date. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> and I am healthy enough to go out. There you and go. Have a little bit. So yeah, I think you're amazing as well. And I you're one of the first ones that messaged me. Um, 
when I got on board with EndoCo. Okay. And I, we've stayed in touch since then. So yeah, it's been great. Yeah. And I think, you know, everybody out there, if you are listening to this, go, go check out their Instagram. You guys are also on Facebook. Cause I tagged you on Facebook, yes. um, the endometriosis coalition, right? Is okay. Name? Yes. Yes. So our handle on Facebook and Instagram is at the endo.co. Okay. And on Twitter, you're not allowed to have dots. So okay. it's just the endo co. Okay, great. So okay. I, yeah, I tagged you in that and I want everybody right. listening to go and check it out. If you don't know what endometriosis is, be informed because the numbers are astounding. I mean, one in 10 women have this and um, we really need to spread awareness. We need to spread information. And I think you guys do an amazing job. You all are just from afar, beautiful, amazing, powerful women that are doing such great things. And I'm really, really lucky and blessed and happy to have met you and to, um, have that support for myself. Because like I said, I only had Lena Dunham and for so long I felt very alone. And And then when I found you guys too, I was like, oh my goodness, there's even more people that I can respond and be around and talk to and, and get, uh, connected with. And so, and I, um, yeah, so everyone needs to go check it out, check them out and offers, you know, just get informed, learn more. Um, and so I know we're coming to a close. I don't want to keep you too much longer. We can always do a second one, but I just want to end maybe with, um, some like myth busters kind of like you do okay. on your yeah. Instagram, you know, and on the endoco, what, what can we let people know that is, is a, is not a, it's a myth. So when you Google endo, one of the first things that's going to pop up is the Mayo clinic definition. Okay. It is wrong. Okay. It is wrong. So, um, one of the biggest misconceptions is that it is endometrial endometrium tissue that is growing outside of the uterus, that it is pathologically identical. We've heard that a lot. That's what Mayo says. It is not. It is tissue similar to the lining of the uterus, but it does have pathological differences. Okay. And it makes its own estrogen. So even taking, being on Lubron Mm -hmm. and doing those things, while I did it, it really helped with my cyst ruptures and endometrioma. I had one of those as well. Um, it does not cure endo. It does not treat endo. You know, I did it personally for personal reasons. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go back on that. Mm-hmm. But it does not do the things that, you know, the drug companies and some doctors think that it does. Right. So endo can grow even when you're on these um, drugs. Correct. Because it makes its own estrogen. Um, oh, another one. Hysterectomy is not a cure. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, this one we have to talk because <laughs> the thing is, is that even with my situation, I, I've not been diagnosed with adenomyosis. Adeno. Adeno, right. I've not been diagnosed with that. And um, granted, I I don't think I – you said it's in, the, it's in the muscle of the uterus. Yeah. If they do a hysteroscopy, can they tell? No, not Okay, everything has to be from actual – Inside the wall. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so, so I know there is some very high-tech ultrasound that is not in the United States. Okay. I believe it's in Australia – um, cause I've had some girls that have been diagnosed that way. Okay. Um, but it's really just goes by the symptoms and after you've tried everything else. Um, and so 
Hysterectomy is not a cure for endometriosis. Mm -hmm. It is a cure for adenomyosis. Okay. The reason, and so when they say that you need to get a hysterectomy after, or when you first get diagnosed, which I asked for one because I thought it was a cure just by Googling, which I was wrong, given my, even with my medical background, I just had a feeling that my uterus had to go for some reason. Right. And um, I found out why, most likely adeno. So I did schedule my hysterectomy, but I did everything before that. So like I said, endo can grow by itself. It makes its own estrogen. It produces its own estrogen. So even when you don't have a uterus, if there's any endo left, it's going to grow. Yeah. So that's why true excision is very important. But we don't go to a specialist the first time we have symptoms. So bringing awareness to OB-GYNs, primary care pediatricians that are still seeing girls when they're hitting their menstrual age, it's very important. And I think that's a lot of what we do as well as getting it to those who don't specialize in it, who don't know what it is, but maybe the first, um, stop for the female. Yeah. And there, and, and, and everyone listening, uh, currently there is no cure for endometriosis. So very little funding for research. There you go. And so the truth is, is that when a physician is telling you to get something done, thinking that it's going to be a cure, that is, that is false information. And, you know, I'm, I mean, my, this doctor, I think my second surgery that I just had a year ago was maybe two hours. So I think, this is why okay. right now I'm in a position where I feel, I mean, I've kept it at bay. I don't, I'm not really mm-hmm. having symptoms. I'm gluten-free. And so I've oh, done a mix right. of both. And they did an ultrasound and things are looking good. So I, he's also a surgeon that's like very well known for robotic surgery and using robotics. So I think mm-hmm. the excision was done at a more, you know, in, in a scale that was better than the first surgery. Um, and we'll hope, and you know, like I, like we're saying, there is no cure. And so the best thing to do is continue to be an advocate for yourself, knowing what your body needs, what it, what Mm -hmm. is best for it. Listening to it. Yes. Listening to it. Because for me with being stage four, you know, they have said, you know, if this comes back at a large amount, you know, hysterectomy is, is something that we would recommend. And my body is like, no, no, no. Like I, that's just like automatic right now. I'm like, no way. (laughs) Like that's just, and that's, yeah. And I completely, you know, agree with your decision. You're saying no, like I would say no as well. If I felt truly that I needed to keep my uterus, I would have done it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like, is no one should be scared into or forced into getting a hysterectomy. It is a lot to take on. It's a huge mm-hmm. surgery. It's a huge recovery. Yeah. Um, it doesn't just everything before. No one wants to have a hysterectomy. I mean, it's not, yeah. I got a and actually how I um, met Lena, I, before I met the, before I started talking to the Endoco girls that much is I got this message on Instagram from a random person saying, um, I think I just made my profile and it was really, really terrible. So I won't share most details, but there, it was some young kid and I was a disease investigator. So right. thinking that I wouldn't find him online, he yeah. was mistaken, um, <laughs> even though he had blocked everything. Uh, saying like, why don't you just get a hysterectomy and shut up already or something like that. And I had sent it to Lena and to my surprise, she wrote back to me personally and was like, who is this person? And so, you know, it's been, it was amazing to see that reaction from her because I was like, who? And I like, right from that beginning, I wrote them back and was like, and hysterectomy is not a cure. 
if you like to do some research. And I don't know if you are who you think you are or say you are, or you're someone else pretending to be this person. But I was a disease investigator at the local and state level, and I would tread very lightly. Yeah. I found like their dating app profiles by a reverse image search and stuff. Yeah. And I sent it to them, and then I like reported them to Instagram. Yeah. And Instagram deleted their profile, but I was like, um. Yeah, you're messing yeah. with the wrong, you're barking up the wrong tree, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> so I just think if everybody could just, you know, know that that is not a cure and also just show some empathy to everybody else in the world that you meet. Yeah, absolutely. And we're all fighting our own battles. We all are going through our own, you know, our own things and not everything is at surface level, right? You know, you see somebody and you might have no idea that they're battling endometriosis or any other condition. Um, They could be battling depression. It's everything is just, you know, everybody's fighting a battle that you don't know. And like you said, just it being kind, showing empathy, um, and just, you know, be, be nice, you know, just, it's, yeah. it's, um, you really don't know. And even, you know, Lena Dunham, I saw, she chose to also get a hysterectomy for her own purposes. And so many people were ridiculing her and I felt horrible because they just said, you know, she's making a decision that's best for her. Nobody can judge that. Yeah. And there's so many different uterine conditions that require a hysterectomy. And I actually found out um, when I decided to have mine, my mom had hers at 27 as well. Okay. 27 as well. And I was like, oh, but back then they didn't diagnose her with anything. They're just like, well, you're having these problems, have the same symptoms as me. Let's just take it out. So she most likely had adenomyosis. Okay. Um, And so I'm like, well, that would have been interesting to know like if you had had it and a lot of my cousins have PCOS but it's yeah you don't know and there's other conditions so she never said in her amazing piece in Vogue that I believe it was Vogue Mm -hmm. okay I'm like did I mess up um that she never said it was a cure for endometriosis she detailed the problems she had with her uterus right and her surgeon is amazing and agrees and you know that's someone's personal choice that they didn't ask to be like they've been an advocate thank right. goodness for her yeah. to be an advocate and other celebrities as well but they didn't ask for this either like we no one wants this to happen no yeah. one wants to have to have to go through this right but we made a choice to where we can live and you know I wrote in my letter to my surgeon that Thankfully, I will have a position where I can do IVF and use a surrogate in the future, mm. or I've been in a situation where I see blood children who are, you know, just as loved, and I will love an adopted child Absolutely. just as much as my own. But then there's people, like, but if I wanted to have children of my own, and I would have fought a lot more, too, but I wrote, like, I can't have sex, yeah. so there's no way I'm going to be getting pregnant regardless, because... Right. I'm in so much pain. There's no way I can't find anybody to date me. And the what if you can't have kids, I've been told that. And it's like, I don't know, when I Google endometriosis, I see infertility. And yes, that is a big factor, but it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be infertile because you can still, I mean, Natalie is living proof of that right now. There's there's many others. Exactly. Yeah. Especially in the one in 10 campaign. We've seen a lot of Pregnant yeah, and- which is beautiful, and 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 children, and yeah, it's it's you just never know, and so it really is like you said, um, it's it's everybody's own 
body, their own choice. It's Mm -hmm. very individual to the woman. And um, I just commend you for your voice, uh, for your courage, for your willingness to share your story. And the same with your other sisters of the Endometriosis Coalition. Same with you. Yeah. Thank you. I know. And this is like, this is the first time, you know, for me that I'm sharing this. So I appreciate virtual you giving hug. me yeah <laughs> back to the virtual hug but i'm appreciative of you meeting you because i think it has given me the courage and the bravery to speak my story and to speak my truth which is something i had not done personally people knew about it and certain people yeah. knew about it but to do it on a larger scale to post this you know as a podcast it means so much to me to get the message out there in the world and so i thank you and I think, oh, thank you. and I think the Endoco for creating, um, for creating the nonprofit to really just make a difference. So, and it's, it's, I will say it's not easy. So I commend you for being able to come out and talk about your story so openly, especially for the first time. So openly, it's hard. Mine was more in baby steps. So you know, I, it's, you know, I don't, I have been said before. People have said, well, you're just wanting attention. I've heard that about a lot of chronically ill pages. I'm like, no, I'm trying to help others who are in my situation that may not have a voice for themselves. And I'm going to help them get their voice or be their voice for them. If they're never comfortable with doing that, I'm not going to force them to come out, but I'll do it for them. So, you know, it's very, um, I like get all warm and butterflies inside when anybody is like, this is my first time. And we've had a lot of that this month. So I'm very honored to be surrounded by so many amazing people. Yeah. Well, you're amazing. And again, <laughs> I thank you so much for for joining me this hour and for spending time and talking about so much. Um, thank you. Everyone listening, again, please go to theendo.co, which is on Instagram and as well on Facebook. But if you are on Twitter, there's no dot. So it's just endoco. Yeah. yeah. You can find us. Anyway, and I'll put it in the, and I'll put it in our, our notes too. So, uh, Jillian, thank you so much. I, I'm like hugs and kisses. And whenever I'm in Chicago, which will be in October, um, definitely, I come once a year for sure, but I will be there in October. I have to meet you in person. Absolutely. Okay. Sign me up. We'll make it a date now. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And we'll, uh, we'll be talking soon. Yes. Thank you. Bye. Bye.